Hey friend, are you swamped with scheduling, bogged down by bookings, or overwhelmed with managing your social media? This message is for you. I would love to introduce you to my secret weapon, StyleSmart VA. This is a company of virtual assistants literally designed by hairstylists for hairstylists. I found them through an interview right here on the podcast, and then shortly after found myself booking a discovery call because I was drowning in administrative tasks and needed help. It's been a few months now, and I can't tell you how much my VA has changed my life. No joke, friends. I am such a believer in StyleSmart VA that I decided to bring them in as an episode sponsor here on the show. Listen, as creatives, our focus should be on the clients and our craft. And now that I have my virtual assistant, I can devote more of my time to exactly that. The beauty of hiring a VA through StyleSmart is that they come to you already trained and able to seamlessly step into your business. From managing appointments and client communications to handling your social media presence, StyleSmart virtual assistants free you up to concentrate on your clients. And that's a change your clients will notice and appreciate. I mean, can we say elevating your perceived value? So when you're ready to level up in your business and take some weight off your shoulders, head on over to StyleSmartVA.com and book a free discovery call today. You'll also find the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. StyleSmart VA, empowering beauty professionals to focus on what they do best. Well, hey there, friend, and welcome back for another episode of the Your Hair Mentor podcast, where I'm your host and your hair mentor. Hello, how's it going? Um, today, we are talking about something really interesting, and I have kind of a different guest on here today for you. Um, you know, usually I like to bring in industry-specific people, and although Brandon is industry-specific, he is not a hairdresser or hairstylist himself, um, but he, he works kind of high up in a company that oversees things. And I just, I find it interesting to talk about this because there's, um, one, uh, one aspect that we're going to talk about today is hair extensions and like how they're sourced and, uh, the ethics behind that. And then the other part of the conversation is how to start a hair extensions company and work your way up the ladder. Because I feel like so many of us today have, really great ideas and we want to start a new project and diversify our income and things like hair extension companies are popping up everywhere. And so how do you become one of those companies that A, has ethical sourcing and B, is backed by a huge company? So my guest today, his name is Brandon Hutchins and he comes from a company called Beauty Industry Group. Now they're kind of a silent company, meaning like they don't really put themselves in the spotlight. They support other companies and other brands that you might be very familiar with. So they're what's known as a parent company. And they must have some sort of like holdings in the company or something that I'm sure Brandon will answer for you here. But um, essentially, they help like promote and grow these hair extension companies. Now I'm going to just list some off here for you so that there's some familiarity because I guarantee you're going to recognize these brands. Okay. Um, hair extension companies like Zala, Twisted Fringe, Luxie, Hidden Crown, Hotheads, Halo Couture, Hair Talk, Flaunt, Glam Seamless, Donna Bella, Bella Me, 
Babe, and Beauty Works, just to name some of them. Now, I did not realize that all of those independent companies were backed by this larger brand, which is so fascinating when you get into it. So I will let Brandon talk about that part here. But I just want to let you know, sometimes it's really interesting and kind of piques some curiosity in you when you hear stories that are very different than those that we hear behind the chair. So I invite you to stay open-minded, stay curious, and come have a listen while I interview Brandon Hutchkins, who is the, or Hutchins, excuse me, not Hutchkins. I keep wanting to say Hutchkins. He's the president of Professional Brands for Beauty Industry Group. Boom, say that twice. Let's dive in. All right, Brandon. Well, I'm super excited to have you here, and I'm really curious to chat about some of the things that I see you're working on and you're involved in. So why don't you just give me like a brief overview of like who you are and who you're working with and representing today? Yeah, thank you, Crystal. And thanks for the opportunity to be on the podcast. We've we've heard a lot of your episodes and, you know, certainly are fans of the hair mentor. So we appreciate the opportunity to be involved as an organization and personally just getting the opportunity to meet you and be able to speak with you is great. So uh, my name is Brandon Hutchins. Uh, I, I currently work for a company that's called Beauty Industry Group and have been here for quite some time. I've been here since 2010. So, you know, going on 13 years and I actually came outside of the, the industry. And so I was not familiar with professional beauty uh, and was luckily lucky enough to kind of find a really great home here and, and be part of beauty industry group and kind of the organization that's been built over the last decade or so, uh, and have really come to enjoy every aspect of working within the salon professional community, which I'm sure you can attest to as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, to be completely honest, I had not heard of beauty industry group, um, before chatting with you and your company, but I was like, wait, I recognize all of the brands that are under yeah. that name. So can you give me just like a rattle off a handful of names so that my listeners are going to be like, oh yeah, duh, that's who that is. Yeah. Well, we, we certainly as an organization, like as a portfolio company have kind of flown under the radar, but uh, most, most salon professionals in the industry would be familiar with the brands that we uh, have under our, our portfolio. Um, some of those being uh, Halo Couture, Bellamy, Hair Extensions, Hotheads, Hair Talk, Babe, uh, today we have 14 brands that we represent and and that we operate, um, and and so we we have a very you know strong presence within the industry. But we don't promote Beauty Industry Group as kind of the parent company very often. It's not like a L'Oreal or an Estee Lauder or a Henkel or something where they're actively out there promoting kind of the parent company. We've really taken a brand centric approach to engaging with the market, both with professionals and with consumers. And so that's why you probably haven't heard much about our organization overall. Gotcha. And then your job in the company is to help represent these brands. Is that right? Yeah. So it's an interesting story because uh, Beauty Industry Group started out in 2004. So it's been around for a very, very long time, you know, two decades almost now. And at the time it, it was one brand. The very first brand that we created is one that's also, you know, sells directly to uh, salon professionals and it was called Donna Bella Hair Extensions. And so that's how the whole story began two decades ago. And over time, we developed some other brands for that fit kind of the needs of different stylists or salons in the industry. And in 2016, we were lucky enough to have some financial partners come on and join our organization. And that's really enabled us to kind of create and continue to, to deliver on the vision that we had as an organization, which, you know, our, our mission is to deliver true beauty. Uh, 
And we today are only in the hair extension space. We've chosen to be very, very focused on hair extensions and enabling success behind the chair with serving the consumers with all their hair extension needs. And so our financial partners joined in 2016. And since then, that's, an, that's enabled us to actually go out and partner with some of the brands that I mentioned earlier, Bellamy, Halo Couture. These are all brands that we partnered with along the way as we sought to create this company that kind of had a little bit of everything that was needed to be successful behind the chair with extensions, not only from a stylist perspective, but also the, the, the customers that are coming into the salon and looking for those products. You know, this is really fascinating uh, that this entire company is just about hair extensions right now because, yeah, you go back 20 years and you would have never imagined that you'd have this giant company about something that was so obscure back then, but now is so commonplace. So I'm so yeah. excited to have you on here today to talk about these things because, you know, I feel like even in salon spaces, a lot of the times, like, we don't know what kind of values we need to be looking for when we're shopping for hair extensions brands. There are, I don't even know how many brands that are out there now it seems like every hair salon's got their own like boutique brand these days yeah. um and so i'd love to hear more about you know the the reasons why you guys choose the brands you do but i just had to say like i think it's really interesting and fascinating that it's such a big part of our industry now right oh absolutely i mean if you think back 20 years ago um we didn't we didn't really have social media like you had some you know small social media companies at the time, Facebook wasn't even, uh, you know, as big as, as it's become 20 years ago. And, and so the ability for us to share content and especially visual content that was before and afters, which are so critical within hair extensions where you can have a transformation happen behind the chair within, you know, an hour, two hours. We didn't really have that medium to be able to share that content. And 20 years ago, you think back to some of the celebrities back then, Britney Spears, others, it was taboo to talk about hair extensions. In fact, all the, all the content that was online at that time mostly was negative because we had somebody that had a bad hair extension or hair extensions gone wrong. And they were demonstrating that, you know, you could see the hair extensions uh, on their natural head today. That's completely different today, women and men, but, but primarily women embrace the fact that they can change their hair type. They can change their hairstyle almost instantaneously. You see celebrities going from very, very short to long, in fact, I saw one the other day was that was like 40 inches long or something what? on a celebrity. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's just so crazy. So long. And, and they're and they're comfortable. You know, people are comfortable today saying, you know what, I choose to change my look. It makes me feel good. It, it allows me to try different things that I couldn't have done on my own and look at the transformations that happen. And, and so I, I feel like, you know, over time, there was a fundamental shift, at least in this category, where is that became more commonplace and it became less taboo to talk about it then started to open up the door for everyday people across America that didn't really even know the extensions were a category. And they started to say, Hey, I could do that. And it's actually accessible because my hairstylist told me about this. And so I'm going to go try it out. And that's really created a shift in our, in our category and has allowed all of these brands to flourish. And you talk about there being a lot of brands in the market. That's true. We, we recently did a survey of our own customers and 70% of them said that there are more brands today on the market than there were a year ago. And it, it really has become such commonplace because it went from almost being a fad or a trend to a staple category within the industry. Yeah, these days I feel like if you don't offer hair extensions in your salon, you are just missing out on profit, it seems, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting, Crystal, is 
uh, and, and you might find this to be interesting, but uh, almost a quarter of hairdressers actually offer hair extension services. And so there's actually a huge segment of the professional industry that either doesn't feel confident yet to be able to offer those services, or maybe are newer into their careers, or, you know, there's a variety of, uh, of circumstances that might create this, but actually three quarters of hairdressers today do not offer hair extension services. And so there's a big opportunity, you know, as a manufacturer, but then also in the salon environment to differentiate ourselves by saying, this is a service that we're good at and that we can offer. And, you know, today there's hairdressers behind the chair making six figures exclusively offering hair extension services. And so it really is something that not only is becoming mainstream with uh, the consumers coming into the salon, but it's providing some substantial opportunities for hairdressers as well. Right. That's actually shocking. I would think it would be more people. It seems like, I mean, I guess, you know, we get on social media, you get in your little echo chambers and it's like, everyone I know does hair extensions, but <laughs> that's right. clearly that's not yeah. the case. Yeah. And so, we have to remind ourselves of that all the time too, because we're in hair extensions. So that's all we hear. We yeah. think that everybody does hair extensions, but the reality is there's still, you know, a lot of upside in the industry for those that want to get behind the category. Yeah. What is that phenomenon called? It's like, it's like when you're car shopping, right? And you've got your sights focused on some specific car and then you see yeah. that car everywhere, right? It's probably the right. same thing going on. It's like you see extensions everywhere, yeah. even though they're not right. actually everywhere. Or, or, you go into a, or you go into a store and you go to check out and when you enter the store, nobody's at the checkout and then you yeah. go to check out and all of a sudden everybody's there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Very yeah. similar. Um, okay. So I would love to hear... Um, uh, imagine I am a hairstylist that doesn't know anything about hair extensions, but I heard that they're important and that I should put them in my like repertoire of services. What do I need to know about hair extensions in order to move forward? Like what are some key points that you offer, um, you know, in your company that are important that I should know? That's a great question. Uh, I'll try my best to answer your question so that you can, uh, you can go learn more about the category after as a stylist. But um, I think there's a few things. One, it, it, is a, it is a product that's a little bit technical. And so the ability to offer a good installation service is a little bit different. Um, and, and by the way, it's not really taught widely in cosmetology school. So a lot of hairdressers behind the chair that are freshly out of school or maybe even have been in the industry for a while might have heard about the category, but might have been a little bit timid or not confident to enter into it because they don't know a lot about it. It is a little bit of a technical product, though, and, and a little bit of a technical service that needs to be created. And it's a little bit different than traditionally what's been taught in cosmetology school. So I think the, I think the first thing is really become educated uh, within the category. And that can be selecting your favorite brand that you've heard about. It could be looking at a particular method like tape-in extensions or weft extensions and saying, you know, what aligns with kind of what you're passionate about and what you typically see with your clients coming into the door. And then really seek to educate yourself about that method or about those brands. There's a lot of education out there that are offered from our brands and from other brands. And I think if, you'll, if, if the stylists will take the opportunity to really invest in the educational component, it will give them a little bit of a overview of the category, what kind of clientele can be served, and then also start to get the tools and resources needed to be successful. Um, I would also say that, you know, just going to a, a, a class to become certified by a brand, I think a lot of hairdressers have the expectations, I'm going to go for a full day class, I'm going to go back to the salon and be successful overnight. And while there's some truth to that, you're kind of on that journey, it really is a journey to become a six figure hairdresser behind behind the chair. 
and, and that's, I don't think is unique to extensions. I think if you're really going to be successful as a stylist or in life, you've really got to dedicate yourself to the learning and putting in those 10,000 hours to become great. Uh, and so I don't think that's any different than hair extensions either. So I, I would say really invest in education, seek out the best education that you can find, and then seek to find others within the community that are already offering it. There's a lot of forums. There's a lot of groups that have been created. Um, some brands even offer like opportunities to get together as a community, but there's a lot of hairdressers and, and we know our industry is so collaborative and so friendly. People are willing to share advice and feedback and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to not have the pitfalls that maybe would come if you're not open to some of that collaboration with others. Mm -hmm. Now, what about those DMs that I get on Instagram that are from Susie Q that has, you know, <laughs> 10 followers and she's from China and she's got this awesome deal on hair that she wants to give me. Mm. Why do I not choose or choose that? So you get those DMs too, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, we, all the time. I, you know, it, it's so interesting, but yes, that is so commonplace. I, I would venture to guess that nearly all salons and uh, hairdressers are getting similar, uh, you know, emails from China. And I think China has, has primary, the primary production of hair extensions has traditionally been in China. And so we have to understand that a lot of the manufacturing, regardless of the brands, historically has been in China. Now that's starting to diversify a little bit today. And there's some reasons that you may want to actually say, I would prefer to go to a different, uh, you know, geographic location for manufacturing. But historically, that's where it's come from. And in the Shandong province of China, there's a thousand hair extension manufacturers alone just in that one province. So you can imagine, yeah, a thousand of them. What? You can imagine like they're reaching, you, you get a thousand of them reaching out to hairdressers and to salons in the US. And uh, it's very easy to say, oh, it's very easy for me to go to China and get extensions. However, and, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this during the conversation today, the manufacturing of hair extensions is very, very complex. It's not a production line where you stamp out a product time and time again. It's a handcrafted product. It's, it's human hair that's either being donated or sold throughout the parts of the world, through various parts of the world that then is needing to be collected and then delivered to a factory. And there's a whole production process by which that hair goes through before it actually gets to the salon. And, and so while it's easy to have interactions with somebody from China, it's easy to be able to maybe get like some samples and things to be able to have the same experience time and time again, especially as your volume grows behind the chair really is a challenge. And that's where I, I find most, most hairdressers or salons that have gone that route to create their brand have had some challenges along the way with that consistency of quality, which is directly tied to the factories, which are you know predominantly in the China region. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to ask that question because that leads me into the, the next concept of like, what does it mean to sustainably source hair to ethically source hair? Because I got to tell you, I did like a little bit of a deep dive on yeah. like the dirty little secret of hair extensions before <laughs> we started talking yeah. today. Now, I remember years ago when I got certified through another company, um, part of their pitch was that their hair was like certified. Uh, I don't think they called it ethically sourced. There was another mm -hmm. word at the time, but it was like 
temple hair from India that women like donated or somehow they were like, you know, um, monetarily rewarded for their hair. And it was like this la-di-da peaceful kind of thing. And I just kind of went along because I didn't know any better. I was like, sure, Sure. this sounds great. But I really never looked into like what the opposite of that would be and maybe why you would want to look for a company that made sure they're ethically and sustainably sourced. So can we talk a little bit about like the problem of sourcing hair absolutely. in places. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, this isn't unique to our industry or, or even this category. If you think back to like the textile industry, clothing, cosmetics, every industry I think has gone through some form of this. And especially when you're talking about natural resources or, you know, resources that come from humans, it, it's, it's, it just adds that much more complexity and that much more necessity to make sure that we are ethically sourced and sustainable. And, and so I think if you back up to the fundamentals of, of hair itself. 20 years ago, most of your hair would have come from India. And what would happen is, is women primarily would go into these temples that were part of their religious beliefs and they would offer their hair and, and they would either thin their hair. Think about going into a salon and like really just thinning the hair quite drastically to get some hair uh, that can then be donated or they would even shave it or cut it off completely. And, and these women primarily would go to these uh, these temples and they would donate that hair. And there wasn't any monetary exchange. What the temples then would do is the temples would take that. And it's almost like if you think about some of the religions that we may have here in the United States, you might pay a tithe or a tithing to the church. The church then takes that money or those donations, and they're then using that to support their communities. So to feed the poor or to build, uh, you know, religious structures or to help create programs for less educated children in the in the neighborhoods. And so the temples have really good intentions of taking this hair and, and doing good things with it. Um, that was, you know, 20 years ago, that was the predominant way of getting hair. Today, that's still very true. That still happens. However, in other parts of the world and primarily in the Asian continent, you also have women that are now selling their hair. So they're actually going to the salon, salons that specialize in this kind of service, and they're they're not cutting their hair off or shaving their heads anymore. They're just thinning some of their hair. And in exchange for that, they're paid a wage or paid paid some monetary funds for that. And then they also get the full treatment in the salon, whatever they want, kind of for free. So it's a way for them to go get a really great uh, salon experience, also be able to provide for the, themselves or their family. Um but by by selling their hair. And so you kind of have this this dual dynamic now that happens predominantly in hair extensions. And this is happening for, for most of the hair that's then collected and distributed to the factories. Now the challenge that you 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 represent or that you you brought up is the fact that none of this is regulated. This isn't a there's not a government agency in the United States or in China or in the world that that is a governing body that's saying, is the hair being collected or sold? or purchased in an ethical way. And so it really becomes the responsibility of the corporations, of the, of, of the businesses to say, we choose to improve the supply chain process to be able to make sure that we can officially say and adequately say and confidently say that we are ethically sourcing this hair that then we're distributing and selling into the, into the salon uh, professional network. But it opens up the door for a lot of bad actors, unfortunately. And uh, factories, businesses, because there's no governing body, a lot of them will say we're ethically sourced. A lot of them will say we collect all of our hair 100% from the temples in India. But 
if you really dig into it, it's a challenge to actually validate through third-party sources that that's happening. And so that's created, unfortunately, some negative stigma around the category and something that we firmly believe in getting uh, away from and actually becoming the leader within our category of saying, we believe in ethical sourcing. We, we know that there's room for improvement. And so here's how we, over the next three or five years, will seek to improve this supply chain so that we can all feel better about the category and feel more confident in our ability to ethically and sustainably source the hair. Yeah. So do you feel like in your company, are you just a little more transparent about where things are sourced and how, I mean, like as a, as a, I'm not an end user, I guess, but I'm a consumer, right? As a consumer, if I am like, I want to buy some halo uh, hair from you, how do I know that I can like confirm that what you're saying is true? You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and I think, by the way, I, I would, anybody that's listening to the podcast, I, you know, as a hairdresser, especially because you, your credibility is on the line too, with your exactly. own clients coming into the salon. Right. And so I would encourage that exact question to be asked as you're seeking to find the right brand to align with. Um, and, and so a few things that we do, yes, we are very transparent. Every year we create what's called a corporate responsibility report. It's just a really fancy way of saying we are going to be transparent about our ethical and sustainable practices. And the reason that we do that, because, you know, some companies may choose not to share that because it's a, it's a trade secret or they want to, you know, have a competitive advantage that their competitors can't, uh, you know, can't compete with. We choose to be transparent because we really have taken the stance that we want to be the industry leaders in ethically and sustainably sourced hair. And the only way that we can become the leaders of that is if everybody's joined together. And because there's not a governing body within a governmental department, we've chosen to say, hey, we're going to open up our, our strategy and we're going to actually share with the world, all of our competitors included, what we, be- what we believe to be true when we talk about corporate responsibility as it relates to hair extensions. So we share our processes. And if you go to the Beauty Industry Group website, you can actually click on the report for the last three years and you can see how each year we've become progressively better and better and better at the sustainable sourcing. There's still a lot of room for improvement because this is being created from the ground up, but we believe that we're further ahead probably than anyone else in the category, and we want to continue to do that. And our our kind of focus is to say, let's open that up to the world, and we invite the competitors to do the same thing because we really do believe that if we can create this environment where all companies have sustainable hair, all companies are able to prove and validate that they're ethically sourced, that that's better for the end user, it's better for the hairdresser, it helps protect the women and others that are donating or selling the hair in other parts of the world as well to make sure that that's a, a good experience and something that's actually adding value in those communities rather than being seen as something that maybe is not transparent or could be viewed negatively through the press or other means. Or like some of the crazy stories that I read, like the Ukrainian children having their hair cut off. It's like this weird black market situation where you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was a yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and we like to, you know, we've, we, we have a, our CEO has been over to China, you know, 50 plus times over the last few decades. We have a team of individuals that are going, you know, nearly quarterly or even more frequently, to be honest, to the areas that we do business. I, I would like to say, you know, fairly confidently, just because we've been over there as an organization so much. But I think those, those instances that you hear on the news, I think are not very common. They're small pockets that are happening. 
however, they do happen. And when you hear about some of these things, and so our objective as a, as a company is to say, how do we, how do we just really validate and make sure that we're doing it in the most sustainable and ethically sourced way? And help, how do we help encourage other companies to do the same thing so that those instances actually go away over time, hopefully would be our goal. And if not, at least they diminish. And we know for certainty that our production and our sourcing is done in a very, uh, you know, upright way. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever talked about a concern about like consumers wanting so many extensions that it's too hard to get your hands on enough hair? Oh, it's a, it's a topic of conversation all the time. <laughs> Cause I'm like, <laughs> you know, it takes a while to grow 22 inches of hair friends. It does. It does. No, it's, it's a, it's a very valid question. And yes, it's something that we think about all the time. The, the reality is there's actually a lot of hair uh, to be purchased in, in the world. Um, there's a lot of uses for hair that are not hair extensions. So you remember the oil spill that happened in the Gulf several years ago, and they actually brought in human hair and they put them in this netting and these really big, long, uh, you know, strands of hair. And they actually use that because of the absorption of the hair. So they use that to absorb the oil and then to be able to carry that off and dispose of it in an, in a, I hope environmentally safe way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but there's, there's a lot of uses for hair today that, you, you know, most of us don't think about. And so the reality is there's actually a lot of hair on the market, much, much more uh, than would ever be used at least today or for the foreseeable future for hair extensions. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that, you know, that will never happen, but at least for the foreseeable future, we feel like that's a long ways out. And we and other organizations that we've partnered with are also looking at other ways to create synthetic fibered hair that acts and fills just like human hair so that you know, if that time were to ever come, we, we have some alternatives that are just as good, at, just as good, if not better than what could be created from human hair. And so there's other things that are going on within the industry to just make sure that we're prepared in case that were to ever happen. But we don't feel like it's, uh, it, it's to that point anytime soon. No. Okay. You know, I just, I'm thinking back to this time when um, I was like making an order for some hair extensions and I was using great lengths at the time. And now the story goes, there was a (laughs) fire in a warehouse and then there was a flood in another warehouse and all Mm. of the blonde colors were stuck in one of those warehouses. And so I go to order hair extensions and they're like, we're so sorry. We have nothing basically like the entire warehouse of hair went poof. Um, and it was months before I could order hair again. And so I think they were probably scrambling to, you know, try to catch back up. I don't know if that's actually what happened, but I was like, did they just run out of like blonde hair to collect or like what happened here? Um, well, I can't, I can't speak to that specifically, although we, we know great lengths and, you know, have a lot of respect for them as an organization. They've also done some really good things when it comes to uh, pushing forward the initiatives to ethically source hair and, and do that in a sustainable way. So that's, that's another beacon, I think, in the industry of someone that's really sought to do it right and is continuing to make progress. But, but what you bring up is a very valid point. I mean, the production time of hair extensions is quite long. It doesn't happen within a few days or a few weeks because of the process of collecting the hair actually going through a, a process of depigmentizing the hair and then in, you know, it, uh, depositing the color that you need to have within the hair along with the texture, if there's any textural changes to the hair. So that takes a, a significantly long time. And is part of the reason also you point back to some of those factories, like in China, that are reaching out to the industry. That's another risk that happens out there. And something that we've experienced just like great length sounds like experienced as well is if you're not prepared and don't have some contingencies, if something were, to happen like that, you can literally be stuck for months or longer 
without having the supply you need for your customers. And so it, it's quite important to have some strategic plans of, you know, raw hair on hand, mul- multiple months of hair distributed through different locations, just so that if something unfortunate like that were to happen, that there are some plans that don't force you to be out in the salon for that long. Which immediately makes me think of COVID because like supply chain issue was like a hot button word, right? For two years. Um, did you, did your company have any sort of problems with that or were people just growing hair like crazy? And then the minute COVID was back open, you were flowing. Man, COVID, COVID affected the whole world. Didn't I it? know, right. It's still affecting the world. I, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, no, it, it certainly, I think every organization had some sort of challenges that they had to overcome as a result of supply chain during COVID. Ours was not as much uh, the amount of raw hair available to purchase. That that was never a challenge. Like I said, there's an abundance of hair in, in the world uh, to purchase. And so there's, it's not, it was never that that was a challenge. What was the challenge for us, just quite frankly, was that China really had some heavy restrictions, right? As we know, uh, for a much more extended period of time than like Europe or, or the United States did. And so our ability to be able to be in the factories as often as we had historically been, to be able to make sure and do our quality checks and things like that was just limited uh, more than it had been in the past. Um, and, and so that that provided some challenges and we learned a lot along the way, some things that we could have prepared ourselves better for. And you know, so we took it as a learning opportunity and have put into place a lot of uh, what we think are great changes and enhancements that will help us if that were to ever happen again. Um, one, one thing that I think actually impacted us and continues to impact the, the industry a little bit is if you think about hair and the integrity of the hair, like if, if, if I were to ask you, like, were you stressed out or anxious during COVID in any way? Right. Yeah. Uh, a hundred percent. Yes. A hundred percent. We all were. And and that's no different from, from somebody in Asia, right? Like it was intense. It still is. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And if you just think about like the stress and the anxiety and like what that does to the integrity and the quality of your hair, just naturally, right? You, you hear about hair loss and hair thinning becoming this major topic of conversation mm-hmm. since COVID because it's just as triggered those kind of biological changes within us, you know, and that's no different for individuals coming from Asia. And so you think about the impact that COVID had on hair itself. Now that same hair is being donated or sold. And we are collecting it as as a as a manufacturer. That then per, that then created an environment where we actually had to look at the hair differently than we did four or five years ago, and say, how are we going to actually increase the integrity or enhance the appearance and the fill and the look of this hair while we're going through our manufacturing process, so that when the hair arrives in the salon, it's exactly what the salon professional would have expected, and that change really has impacted, I think, all hair extension companies. And we continue to learn and do a lot of research on how we can be more nimble and agile when we get hair that maybe is in a different state than maybe it would have been, you know, years earlier. Oh, that's fascinating. So then my next question is, okay, so y'all going to release that technology to us so we can use it on our hair at home that's been damaged? (laughs) Or is that something where like, it's in a vat that, you know, that normally wouldn't be good to put on your hair? Well, it's a great, maybe, maybe that's a good business idea for us, Crystal. Maybe we should do that. (laughs) Although we are dedicated to extensions and I don't know if we'll change that anytime soon. Um, It's a good question. The the production process is very similar. Like if you think about coloring someone's hair in the salon or using a bond, uh, you know, performance product uh, in the salon, it's very similar to that, but there are differences because 
the way that you have a hair extension that's no longer connected to the head and it's not receiving the nutrients that it does when it's on your head is a little bit of a different. And so you do have to treat it a little bit differently. And what you do for hair extensions may be just slightly different, although very similar to what you do for your natural head. Um, and so, but maybe there's a world that will create this revolutionary uh, product and share it with you. Right. Yes. Or some like magical coating that you can put on the hair that makes it feel yeah. amazing. <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. So I noticed on your website, obviously you have all of these, these brands listed, right? Um, I think it's in the like about me page. You can see the names of people from some of these companies that have, um, I guess, joined the team. I like to relate everyone that I talk to on my podcast back to a hairstylist, right? So I'm wondering how does one get to be to the point where maybe they've created their own hair extension brand and then they get to work with your company or be recognized through your company um, like maybe we're, what were some of the stories of those, those companies that have joined you now and how did they get there? Yeah. You know, it, it's a great question. And, and one of the, one of the things that we talk a lot about is how, you know, the industry is so unique. I, I, again, I said early on that I came from the outside of the industry 13 years ago and I have just grown to love, you know, the, the industry, the category, and, and there's so much that makes professional beauty just different uh, than a lot of other uh, industries. Uh, it's very creative. It's mm -hmm. very um, accepting of personalities and different, you know, uh, beliefs, and, and it's very inclusive. Um, I find that by and large, individuals in the industry work really hard too. You know, that we're all putting in the hours. We're all speaking. That's right, <laughs> for sure. You, um, you know, but behind the chair, people are working just enormous amount of hours and putting in a lot of time to find success and. I've, I've spoken to some recently, you know, there's been some, uh, some salary or compensation studies done where, you know, one of the challenges we have in this organization or in this industry is, you know, somebody that doesn't, isn't familiar with it might look at like some of the average pay rates in the industry. And it's so challenging to help individuals from the outside, understand the possibilities that exist that might not be reflective in what you see online of like what a stylist can make. Right. Yes. Because they average all these numbers together of part-time, full-time booth rent, commission and it's just not representative of the possibilities and the opportunities that exist and there's so many good things that can come from joining the industry whether it's mainly through as a cosmetologist but even through other avenues like i came through and, and the possibilities are endless and that's no different in in hair extensions um most of the individuals that we have been able and been fortunate to partner with most of them either had some background as a cosmetologist or were a consumer of extensions and felt like there was a better way to get it done. No. You know, they, they had, they had an experience and it wasn't great. And so they tried again and it still wasn't great. And so they said, Hey, there's gotta be a better way. I'm going to, I'm going to get to work and I'm going to go create something better. And the, the ingenuity and the creativity that's come from these individuals, whether they were cosmetologists or just a consumer of the product has just been phenomenal. And, it, and it's really enabled the industry to move forward, the category to move forward. And it's forced all of us to be better. It's forced all of us to say, how, how can we make sure that every experience is great, that nobody leaves feeling like it could have been a little bit better than it was. And, and so there's, there's a lot of stories and examples of people that have gone through that and have really created some amazing businesses uh, that either are standalone businesses today that exist in our market. Many of our competitors you know, we're, we're friendly with, we know them, we hear their stories, we even associate one another. And we're very 
proud to be part of, you know, this category. Others that we've chosen to partner with and are actually now part of the big, uh, we, we call it big, but beauty industry group organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the creativity and the passion uh, that they bring to the table is just incredible. And it's really, I think what's been part of the secret sauce for us being able to have some success is being able to bring all these different minds together and then saying, how do we collectively put our, our, our heads together and create something different and unique for the industry, which is not as easy when you're just one person trying to do it on your own. It's never easy when you're just one person doing everything on your own. <laughs> Nothing's easy, <laughs> turns out. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love that. It's so tell me more about big. So is that like education stuff too? Or like what, what does that entail exactly? Yeah. So we call it big. Uh, I wish we could have got the domain because every time I had to type in my email address, it's like, brand, uh, you know, beauty industry group.com. It's very long. <laughs> so our official name is beauty industry group, but you know, oftentimes we just go by big. And gotcha. like I said, it, it started out as a singular brand, which was Donabella. Uh, back in 2004. But today, what Beauty Industry Group is, is a parent company uh, or a holding company that then uh, owns and operates these 14 different extension brands within the, within the market. And today we have brands that operate in the United States and Canada, but we also have offices in Australia, the UK, Germany, and even in China. And so it's really become over time more of a global brand. And much of what you or others would see us doing here in this market. We also are trying to replicate in other markets and trying to really create and expand this category, you know, across the world, because the needs that you and other and I and others have here are the same in Europe by and large. And so we feel like a lot of what we're doing here, uh, we can do in these other places. Our brands, these 14 brands really have their own place in the market. They become known for who they are, what they provide to the consumer and to the hairdresser. And much of that, like you said, is education. And so Beauty Industry Group as a company doesn't have their own education. We actually don't sell any product either. But these 14 brands that we operate and and own do sell product and do offer a lot of education. And for us in, in the hair extension category, we are very, very firm believers in education because we we do believe that it's a technical product that's a little bit difficult to master. It's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. And and you know, stylists behind the chair really need the opportunity not only to learn, but to gain that experience behind the chair so that they can continue to gain that confidence and those skill sets so that we we would love more and more uh, hairdressers to be really making six figures behind the chair, hopefully working less too, because they're able to charge a high amount uh, of money for some of these extension services. So today that's who big is. Uh, we, we, we bring these brands together. We try to uh, from a from a corporation standpoint, provide the ethical sourcing, provide the sustainability, some of those things that would be very, very difficult for individual brands to do on their own, but to bring together our collective thinking, our co- collective resources to make this a, a much better experience for everybody involved and, and have that be demonstrated through those 14 brands. Gotcha. So, I mean, this is probably like way far away, you know, from anyone listening, but say I have a listener who's like created a hair extensions company and they want to partner with big, or they would like to live under the umbrella of big. What would it take for someone to be invited to do that with the company? Uh, yeah. So there, I think there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. Um, you know, there, there are hundreds of, there's hundreds of brands uh, in the market today. We have 14, so we're, you know, we're, 
we still are very few brands relative to how many brands are in the market. Um, we're, we're not, we're not seeking to go out and have all the brands, you know, join together under, under one umbrella, but we are saying, uh, you know, what we look at is what are brands doing that are a little bit different or a little bit unique? What's some of that creativity and that ingenuity that's showing through with some of the brands that exist in the market. And as we, look for brands and opportunities that are out there. That's really what we look for. That could be from an educational perspective that they're doing things very different. It could be from a marketing or a social perspective where they've created this really amazing way of helping to educate or to tell people about products. It could be from a technical perspective where they've created a really unique way of looking at extensions and installing them. But we really look for that creativity and that ingenuity and something that's a little bit different. And, and then we say, hey, is there an opportunity? Would it make sense for us to join forces and to be able to partner together? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. At the end of the day for us, relationships really are important, just like they are for all of us in this industry. Mm-hmm. So we, we seek to really, you know, be partnerly with our competitors. We love to talk to them and to hear what they're experiencing, share some of our experiences. Like I said, we, we publish some of these reports so that others can learn from some of the benefits that are coming from these 14 brands that we work with. And hopefully they're able to learn from that and to be able to get better as well. And then just lastly, kind of to that point, as we find those individuals that are really creative and, and have created something unique, uh, what, what matters to most, most to us is the people. Are they the type of individuals that we want to partner with? And we, we really believe in the power of multiple people coming together to do something great. And, are they the type of individual that wants to do something really amazing together and can be collaborative and can live within that kind of environment uh, where a lot of success, success can come, but it really takes a collective group to be able to make that happen. And sometimes that's a little bit difficult if you're a standalone individual and haven't had the experience or opportunity to work in kind of that group setting, let's say, uh, of a portfolio company. No, that's cool. So I originally, when I asked that question, I was imagining like, okay, so this small hair extensions brand would have to have the the right hair they're sourcing, the right practices they're doing and all that. But it sounds like more or less, they just need to be a creative individual with a good idea, with some good work ethic. And then you guys kind of shepherd the ethical practices and the sustainability portion and make sure that it fits with like your flavor of business for them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. A, That's a great way to sum all that up. And, you know, we, what, what you see today and what we've been talking about are these 14 brands that are known in the industry and that we operate, but there are countless other uh, occasions, you know, of partnerships that we've entered into that are not part of our 14 brands and partnerships can look a lot of different ways to a lot of different individuals. And so even if it is a smaller brand or, you know, they're newer into the category, that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't want to have conversations with them and say, hey, what are your needs? What are, what are the strengths that we can bring? And maybe there are partnership opportunities, even though it might not be you know, becoming one of the primary brands that we own and operate, there's still so many other opportunities to look at how partnership can exist. And, and it, with the end goal of being able to produce the very best product for our customer, which in, in our case is both the consumer, but then also the hairdresser. Yeah. So obviously hair extensions are wildly popular in America, right? Um, as a company, do you have your sights set on like the next big area to boom with hair extensions? Like, are you forecasting it kind of taken off somewhere else next? So we, we believe there's a lot of room to be done within hair extensions. There's uh, you know, we, we've done a lot over the last 20 years, but uh, 
there's still a lot of room for us to get better and to continue to grow. And so today our, our focus really is on the extension category globally. And so not only here in the U.S., but abroad. Um, and so that's, that's what we're focused on for the next several years. We are believers in service products uh, in the salon. And so, you know, there could come a day where we say, hey, we have this great network of salon professionals that we work with and we've got this infrastructure built for our brands. Uh, there might be opportunities to have other products that we actually bring to market uh, and partner with the salons. And they would likely be in that service sector because we really believe in the power of the professional influencing the consumer. And that can only really happen in a really synergistic way with products that require that service component to it. And so that's always been kind of the backbone of who we are and likely as we move forward, it would be where our sites are set in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's another question I just thought of. Uh, So one of the articles that I was reading about like the dirty, you know, underbelly of hair extensions was that a lot of the hair is sourced from um, parts of the world that are less wealthy. And women are willing to donate and or sell their hair for not a lot of money so that then, you know, us Western societies with all this money we have, I don't know where the money is technically, I don't have it, but uh, (laughs) you and I both, right, we're just rolling in dough and we can just wear all these hair extensions. Have we seen hair extensions popularity, like people wearing them grow in Asia also, or in India also, or is it not really there? No, absolutely. It's a category that's become known within the world. So yes, it's very, very popular in Asia. It's very popular in other parts of of the world. And so it's not unique to us. Um, You you bring up an interesting point, though, as you're talking about like all this money that's supposedly in the Western society. And I'm sure it is. It's just not with you and I. (laughs) Um, it, It really is one thing that's very unique about extensions. And I think this is easy to overlook as we're talking about maybe some of the bad actors that are out in the market. If you think about the value chain that's created by extensions, if you think about it from like the very beginning, you have an individual that's going to, let's say, sell their hair. Now, our job is to make sure as an ethically sourced company that they're getting paid a fair wage for that, right? And so it's benefiting them as the seller of their hair that's then being used. You then have the collectors that are going to all these salons and places and collecting all the hair. You have all the salon professionals in these Asian countries that are actually thinning the hair. That then is translated to the factories. Today, we have over 3,500 just for big that are 100% dedicated to making BIG products across our brands, 3,500 that are in, uh, in our factories. Whoa. So you think about the 3,500 uh, individuals that are in our factories having a, a, a fairly paid wage, good working environments, then that product is transported, let's say, to the U.S. or to other, uh, other places across the country, and we're selling to tens and tens and tens of thousands of hairdressers who are then influencing the consumer behind the chair. And if you really think about that holistic picture, um, that is creating a lot of value uh, monetarily, but then also just uh, you know, from a value creation perspective in, in many, many different instances across the world, and not only for Western society, but also in all the places that we do business. And so I think that's one really unique aspect of extensions. It's easy not to fully comprehend or really to think through Um, Because we do think about the really gorgeous long hair that we're wearing. And that typically is what we think about when we talk about hair extensions. 
Mm-hmm. I know when I first got into hair extensions, great lengths specifically, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, part of like the selling point for me was like the story behind it. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, the, it was cool and sustainable. And I would tell that to every single one of my clients, most of them didn't really care very much. They just wanted to look pretty, but I had a few that were like, Oh wow, that's really cool. I didn't even think that like where the hair would come from. Right. But we just happily stick other people's hair on our heads. Yeah. I like to think about the whole thing. It's so true. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. And I think that's, I think with the upcoming generations, that's actually becoming more important. It's really important for younger individuals today to want something that they can believe in and Mm -hmm. get behind and promote. And, and so I think generally, generationally, it's a little bit different too, but you're right. I mean, not ethically sourced hair is not the number one concern of every consumer or every hairdresser. Although I think that if you were to say this was not ethically sourced, that becomes a, that becomes like, oh shoot, I should be thinking twice about this. Yeah. And so it's not like commonly on our mind and we might take for granted that maybe everything's ethically sourced, you know, that, that we're consuming as a, as a consumer. The reality is that we've got to check and we've got to do our research and make sure that that's true. But the moment that it becomes not ethically sourced, I think when it becomes a little bit more of a challenge, mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, oh, but absolutely. that's kind of what we see yeah, yeah. with our customers. So then um, one of the things that uh, I read somewhere on your website is that you guys are accessible to consumers as well. As a consumer, where would I look or like what certifications or things am I looking for on your brands to know or even other other brands if they're mentioned? Um, I know it's weird because there's no like recognized stamp seal yeah. of approval. So maybe yeah. this is a moot point actually. <laughs> Well, it's, it's not, a, it's not a moot point, but it's a valid, a very valid point. And I think that could be the future, right? You, you think about the cosmetics industry that has a stamp. You've got a lot of these, in, these governmental agencies or even like organizations or associations that have created like the gold standard in their industry of like what's acceptable or not acceptable. You're, you're right. That doesn't exist today with extensions. And so it's, it's made the whole category very confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll hear the term virgin Remy hair and like that's, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we used to say, Hey, if you have Virgin Remy hair, you are getting good quality. Now there's so many different interpretations of what Virgin Remy hair means that what you get from one company could be very different than another. And so that's part of the solution that we're still seeking to build out and to provide. It's helping to bring, bring to the industry education that helps us understand what really high quality ethically sourced product is. And, and that's, there's a lot of work still to be done there so that we can help educate the consumer and the hairdresser. But you're right, today that doesn't exist. And so it's a little bit of a challenge mm-hmm. to truly understand the quality of hair that you're getting and that it was a sustainable product that was sourced. Yeah, I, I do feel like this is a problem really across the board in the beauty industry, right? Like mm-hmm. we go to beauty school, we get our little certification, and then that's it in terms of things that are regulated. Right. And then, you know, we can take even extension classes like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. a certified great lengths extensionist. What does that mean? Right. It means I took a class. (laughs) It's like there's no um, across the board recognizing what that means. And so I love the idea of companies just trying to set the standard for something. And so then for a consumer, really, the takeaway here is you have to just find companies that you're going to trust that are going to, yep. um, you know, have the values that you have and the standard of service and the standard of care that you're looking for as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's doing, it's doing the research. It's looking at the websites. It's looking at the forums, the reviews, 
if you know people that have tried that brand of product, you know, asking them their experience. It's really, unfortunately today, it is very complex and a little bit confusing. And so doing your own research, I think is, is quite important. And hopefully that becomes easier over time. Hopefully, you know, beauty industry group, great lengths, others within the, within the industry can do a better job of providing a more simplistic way to understand what you're getting as a consumer and to really have confidence as soon as you see a stamp or some other, you know, thing that would give you the inclination that it actually is the right kind of product that you're looking for. So hopefully yeah. that's, uh, that's in the future and to come. Uh, and hopefully in the not too too distant future too. Right. Yes, absolutely. But for the time being, anyone that lives under the big um, business, right? Your, your uh, what do you call it? Your umbrella company, right? <laughs> is going to be a safe choice for a consumer or a stylist that is worried about things being sourced ethically and sustainably, and it's going to have all the good feels about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would encourage anybody listening that wants to learn more about any of the brands, I would start, you can always go to the brand website. You know, you're going to learn a lot about the brand and how they're different from the other brands, even within our own, our own portfolio of companies. Um, but definitely go to beauty industry group and look at the corporate responsibility report, because that's really where you're going to learn across all of our brands, what we believe to be true for sustainable products, what we believe to be true for ethically sourced products. And we actually outline everything that we do. And you can see the progression of how we've even gotten better over the last few years as you read through those reports. But it really is, you know, from start to finish, exactly what we mean when we say ethically sourced. And, and we have a lot of third-party uh, companies and aud auditors that come in to help validate what we're doing. So it's not only taking our word for it because we said it on a website, but it's it's actually we, we show and give the reports of the auditors that have come in that are completely third-party uh, and that are recognized within the industry of being ethical in, in and of themselves so that you can feel more comfortable about doing business with any of our brands. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Brandon. This has been um, enlightening, really, you know, just kind of digging into this whole topic. You know, I felt this way about food for 20 years, right? It's like once <laughs> right. you know know things, you can't unknow. And I yeah. find myself, you know, reading deep diving about stuff in terms of food, but the beauty industry is even more complex. And so any way that we can simplify things and make it easier for our stylists and our consumers, I'm here for that. Well, that's so, great. Well, Crystal, it's been such a pleasure to, to get to spend some time with you. You've had very insightful questions, which I appreciate. And it's it's been a really fun conversation. So thank you for having me on and taking the time to dig in a little bit more, like you said, into the extension category. Great. Yeah. No, well, thank you. I will put any of the links that we need to share in the show notes here, and I will have a list of all of the awesome brands that you guys partner with. Great. Thank you all so right. much, Crystal. All right. Until next time. Hey, friend. I hope after hearing this interview with Brandon, you've kind of got your wheels turning a little bit. You know, A, when you go get some hair extensions to use on a client that you're going to make sure you're buying from a company that is sourcing ethically and transparently. And then B, I hope you're inspired to maybe start something on your own here. Um, I mean, ultimately, that is my goal with this podcast is to just light a fire in you to go out and do something different. I know I am very lit up by this conversation. In fact, I am in the works with speaking with this guy who actually goes out 
and sources the hair, not for this company in particular, but a different one. And I want to hear the stories of like how they actually get the hair from these women, like what that looks like, how they're compensating these women and men for their hair. Um, so this, this conversation for me really sparked some curiosity and I hope it did the same for you. So I am always happy to be here to share these stories with you and I appreciate your listenership. And honestly, if this resonated with you at all, or you know someone that needs to hear this, please share it. Sharing is caring. was not a Care Bear thing. I feel like, you know, as a child of the 80s, Care Bears comes to mind. Anyway, um, thank you so much for listening, my friend. It's always a pleasure. And as I like to say, have a great hair day and I'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Hey friend, Crystal here, and I've got something special for you that's too good to miss. Introducing the wildly popular Confident Conversations Bootcamp, where we unlock the three secret stylist skills that attract clients who pay. In just three classes, we'll transform how you communicate, connect, and turn every conversation in the salon into a formula for high-paying clients. It's not magic, it's mastery of words, presence, and the kind of confidence that turns heads. So why sign up? Because mastering these skills means more than just full books. It's about crafting a career that's as rewarding financially as it is creatively. We're talking quality clients who value your expertise and are happy to pay you for it. And the best part, it's completely free. You heard right. It's my gift to you, friend. So if you're ready to elevate your behind the chair game and attract the clientele you've always dreamed of, this boot camp is your first step. Spaces are limited, and trust me, friend, you don't want to miss out on this transformation. So head on over to www.yourhairmentor.com to secure your spot today. Let's make sure that your talent is undeniable and your chair the hottest ticket in town. Cheers to clients who pay and a career that slays. I cannot wait to see you at the Confident Conversations Bootcamp, my friend.